There are many reasons why people develop mental illnesses. Some are genetic or biological. Some are a result of childhood trauma or overwhelming stress at school, work or home. Some stem from environmental injustice or violence. Sometimes we simply don't know. Regardless of the reasons, these are health problems just like cancer, arthritis and diabetes. So why does society look at people with mental illnesses, including substance use disorders, differently? The answer is stigma. The real question, however, is how do we stop it? Lulema, everyone, and you're currently streaming <laughs> the, the Generation, Generation Gap. Yes, this is the only light-hearted podcast starring two giggly girls gathering people from different generations to discuss some not so light-hearted topics. Today's hello was in Sesotho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so guys, today we have yet another serious topic that we have gathered to discuss. It's something very important and we need to raise awareness about it. Yep. So today's topic is the, the stigma, stigma associated, associated with depression. So before we get talking, let's introduce our guest for today. Joining us for today's discussion, we have two very knowledgeable people. We have a talented student going to complete his Bachelor of Sciences at the London School of Economics and Political Science, also the founder and CEO of the Couch Camp 2020-2021. Please welcome Mr. Shorya Chandravanshi from Gen Z. Hi, that's the funniest introduction I've had in my life, for sure, thank you. Along with Sharia, we have an inclusion champion and the head of inclusion at Pristine Private School. Please welcome Miss Ashwika Ashwini Kumar. Or Ash. From Gen Y. <laughs> Ash is good. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> okay, so guys, thank you so much for coming today. We're waiting to get your insight on today's topic. Okay, so to introduce the idea, today's topic um, sparked from a TED talk that I recently saw by a woman named Ellen Sachs. So now she's a psychology and psychiatry professor at the University of Southern California Law School. So she lives every day with schizophrenia, which is a chronic brain disorder. Um, in her TED talk, she spoke about her story of healing and recovery and the restraints and treatment and all of that stuff. But the big wake up call for me was when I heard her address the stigma related to the mental health. So uh, she said that she didn't feel comfortable telling anyone about uh, her mental illness because of the stigma that dwells at its name. And that's really upsetting, right? Uh, was told that her uh, treatment should be done discreetly and that really shows how socially unaccepted her schizophrenia diagnosis was to those around her. So this stigma is really a big problem and it's actually what delays the treatment of many people as she spoke about in her TED talk. Um, you know, she was talking about how so many people in the US jail suffer from schizophrenia and one of the prime reasons why they are all in jail is because of the existence of the stigma which delays the treatment. And that is why today's episode is de- dedicated to this discussion about the stigma regarding uh, mental health and depression. Yeah, so for segment one, we want to talk about this stigma, like what is the stigma associated with depression, why it exists, and where is it alive? 
Yeah, so just breaking down what exactly the stigma is. Also, did we talk about that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah, I think what's important is understanding um, what mental illness is and having a really sound understanding about, since we're talking about depression, having a good awareness about depression. And for me personally, I feel like stigma comes from ignorance mm -hmm. and um, the fact that society fails to understand uh, or have a sound knowledge about what mental illness is all about. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to give my extremely uninformed, non-expert viewpoint because Ms. Ashwika actually knows what she's talking about, just from a normal layman perspective. <laughs> I think like, in my experience, I think stigma consists of, first of all, the idea that you are actually in control of your mental health and that mental illnesses are mm -hmm. thus a failure of you to keep that control in check. So for example, people will believe that the reason that you shouldn't be sort of you know, public about the fact that you have depression is because it's your fault that you have depression. Maybe you aren't acting right, you aren't eating properly, you aren't exercising, or so on and so forth. And I think that's because a lot of people think that these illnesses have a significant amount to do with the sort of active choices that people make, which may be true to some extent, but I think that if we were a lot more public about sort of the neurological and chemical reasoning behind these disorders, people become a lot less uh, averse to taking others seriously. So for example, if you thought that a fever was something that someone could choose to put themselves into, you would probably be less uh, sympathetic towards them. But we know that a fever comes from just a virus, and so we don't do that. I think that's one of the main things. And the second thing I think comes from sort of the lack of seriousness for treatment, because I think, especially in our part of the world, people don't take therapy very seriously. And I think uh, this part of uh, the stigma is something that I guess you could call me a part of, because I think therapy in our part of the world is also very suspect. And thus people think that uh, seeking uh, sort of solutions for mental health illnesses is something that is sort of a waste of money because they think, oh, why do you need someone to talk to you about it? Why don't you just do it with your family and friends? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just get over it? And that part, I think, is a lot more controversial. The first part, being skeptical of therapy, I'd have to agree with. The second part, I understand, is a bit unfair. Uh, just to add what he said, I mean, that's totally right, Sharia, because um, the reason people kind of evade from seeking treatment is because of cultural aspects and society's perception. Okay, so you have a mental illness that's also considered as a weakness, you know, and um, when you look in, for example, the Asian culture, you know, um, you look into how bringing achievement into the family and you know having having your emotions in control um these are all strengths and when you look at someone and say and when you look at someone who has a mental illness that's considered as a weakness and that sort of brings shame yeah. right and this that's how society would look at mental illness so why would anyone want to go for treatment and why would anyone you know like and i think ruhi had mentioned about um the speaker the TED Talk speaker and how she was supposed to seek treatment discreetly. This is this is why they seek treatment dis discreetly because 
society will perceive them in a very different manner mm. and that's true because um from where i come from from an educational perspective and working in a school um with children who have special needs or who have children who have you know bipolar depression anxiety they do receive special treatment but not because of their um their disability i don't want to say disability i prefer saying barrier but yeah it's disability it's not because they have a disability because they we want them to succeed mm-hmm. so we give them these special arrangements because they should just merely succeed in life yeah. right mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah i i agree with what both of you all said and i think you all very well explained why the stigma exists um i also think another reason is because of like some misleading media representations of uh, mental illness like i was reading this one article and it was about you know uh, how some movies they just label people with mental illness to be a certain way uh, like for example uh, the very popular popular film joker which released in 2019 um in that the lead character was a person with mental illness and he is portrayed to be very extremely violent and all of that and because of that i feel like i mean again i'm not an expert about this topic but based on what i read that article that's what it suggests that you know because of that misleading portrayal of the character you know it's, it's just labeled that that's how people with mental illnesses are which can also maybe give rise to the stigma but i would question whether that's necessarily something that we can oppose because there are absolutely illnesses that could make you more prone to violence there are absolutely illnesses such as psychopathy which explicitly state in the DSM like uh, diagnostic criteria that you have a lack of empathy i mean you have a point in that illnesses in the media obviously change people's perception of these illnesses but we can't say that Mm-hmm. stories can't include these illnesses in the same way that we have stories about people with other illnesses um like you know maybe someone with cancer in fault in our stars for example you could do the same for mental illnesses i think mm-hmm. the bigger more interesting question here is just uh, how inaccurately do we portray more common illnesses and on that i think the simpler i, I think the simplest way to sort of fix that is just not allow so much artistic license because i think that the problem with mental illness is that there is a lot of interpretation room because there's such a huge diversity of how these issues manifest for example if you look at the diagnostic criteria for depression which is a topic of this talk you'll see weight loss and weight gain both within the diagnostic criteria so because of this diversity like you have a lot of artistic license to portray even things like depression or anxiety however you want so i think that the main issue then becomes what kind of standard should we have what should we consider to extreme because to a huge extent you could say okay this is an inaccurate portrayal and the writer could just say no it's not inaccurate it's just something that some depressed people do face so you know those lines are i think what's mm-hmm. interesting yeah that is right because i i think there again it's because i mean you would think that okay joker and yes i've seen joker um i found it to be a very accurate portrayal of um whatever illness he had i don't know if he had schizophrenia or bipolar i'm not really sure of it um but i find it to be quite accurate and i i think it all depends on uh the audience's perception uh, perception of how they view the movie mm-hmm. and they could either take it as okay this is so negative it's so violent this is how uh, oh someone with mental illness is going to do this or they take it as hey look mental illness is actually a serious issue mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it it is quite serious and we need to bring more awareness to it we need to 
we need to have people reach out for help right right okay so now talking about the effects of stigma the stigma not only directly affects individuals with the mental illness but it also affects the loved ones who support them often including their family members um etc so for segment 2 i think it's important for us to bring to attention the rippling effect that this stigma has not only on the person suffering from the mental illness but on those around them i would say that we could try to partition this into talking about the effects this has on people personally related to that individual and people less personally related so professionally and third of all society as a whole um as in you know the sum of all of these uh, viewpoints and how they affect how we as a society is want to it and uh, within that framework i think you'll see that it's it's very odd actually how stigma works at least that's my view So I would say that on a personal level it's likely that if you have stigma within your family you come to the viewpoint that number one there's something that the person in your family is choosing to do that is making them suffer from a mental illness but the second thing that often happens is that the hopelessness that someone with an illness might face sort of spreads to the person in the family so one thing that I've seen quite often is that parents and family will just get extremely frustrated because they think that they know the reasoning behind their children's mental illness they think the reason is maybe they're not you know eating enough exercising enough or maybe they're just not you know uh, disciplined or they don't have willpower something like that um and when the person's condition doesn't improve when you know the external effects of that mental illness still exist their functioning is still uh, difficult to perceive uh, they get frustrated because they think they're failing so if you as a parent think that your child has a you know is always sad and is getting like you know socially disconnected because they don't have will power or they don't exercise enough you probably think it's your fault because you didn't raise them right and i think that causes hopelessness in families as well and this i think extends to like siblings and cousins as well so i think that parents often will end up putting themselves in really difficult situations because they think that they can solve the problem but then they can't and yeah of course the natural result is then to blame the child for still Yeah that's right i mean um yeah just to add to sharia i think uh, another the yes hopelessness is there um you know you blame it on a different reason but i think what parents or those around you fail to understand is that if anyone has a mental illness or depression there's always an underlying reason to it right and i don't think that so they don't have the kind of ability to just kind of go forward and be like okay let's just sit and talk talk to this and let me just understand what's going on with you you just like put a label okay like shoya said it's you're not exercising enough you're not concentrating enough you're not doing this you're not doing that so it's just like all these given factors are already just put out there and there's no time taken to really sit down and be like okay what is actually happening with my child or with my friend or with my brother or sister and i think even professionally i you know from my uh from my uh my role as you know inclusion leader i think that's what even even our teachers we 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 see that they always put it to oh this child is so um he's not behaving really well um they don't really say okay why is he not behaving really well 
you know, let me just go to his level and see what is really difficult for him. You know, what is she struggling with? Why isn't she expressing herself, right? Um, so I think it's all about just going down to the person's level and just seeing, okay, what is really happening? What is the underlying reason for these um, issues? Yeah. And another effect that the stigma has is like, like I said in the beginning, it's the re- it's primarily the reason why so many people with mental illness are not getting treated because of the stigma that's associated with it. Because like I said, like that one TED talk that I saw, you know, she really uh, explained it well, how so many people, uh, you know, in the US jail, for example, they s- suffer from schizophrenia and other mental illnesses. And the reason that they ended up in jail is because they were not treated for it and that's because there is a stigma because had they had been treated like you know she she got treated which is why she was like you know if i wouldn't have got treated it may have escalated to such a level that even i would have ended up there so that's another very very poor effect that it has the stigma yeah Okay, so now for segment three, the final segment, uh, we wanted to talk about how people like you and me can break the stigma, uh, which we already kind of spoke about, but kind of reiterating on it. Um, I think I'll start by saying something that I heard in um, the TED talk that I was again referring to. Um, You know, Ellen, she mentioned about how uh, the entertainment industry uh, how they what they can do to help enlighten people regarding the subject again like how we discussed that you know uh, some portrayals of the mental illnesses are not uh, appropriate some are but uh, the entertainment industry is really big so uh, if they start portraying characters with mental illnesses with like you know a range of them rather than just showing the very bare extreme where it goes to like you know violence and all of that I think that can really help because that can really influence people's, uh, like their uh, their understanding of people with these uh, mental illnesses. So that's, I think that's one thing in addition to what we spoke about enlightenment and educating people about it. Is there anything else you guys want to add? So I have quite a few thoughts on this. The first one I want to point out is look at how positively people look at exercise, and just think about that for a second. Because the reason people look at exercise so positively, if you go to the gym, you play a sport, is because they think it helps your body and improves it. It's not necessarily a sign of weakness, right? You don't exercise because you've gotten yourself into a stupid situation. So I think that positive psychology being more publicly available would create that attitude as well. So if people who are not suffering from mental illnesses were to see that maybe not necessarily therapy, but sort of good mental health practices can help them become more, uh, let's say, calm people, make, help them be more reflective, be more thoughtful, or maybe even just more relaxed, then it would seem almost natural to say that someone with a mental health issue should go for therapy or something. So I think one of the main things we could do is publicly uh, push for positive psychology. So people without mental illnesses also see the benefits of it. The second thing I want to say is that Therapists cost money. And I think that's one of the biggest concerns that people have before going to therapy, which is that parents think that they're effectively either being scammed or being sort of like ripped off in one way or the other, where they think that, why should I spend so much money on my child sort of going and doing X, Y, Z, like just talking to someone basically. And uh, I think the the solution to that is, well, it's quite difficult because the main solution is 
for the parents to sort of understand themselves whether they think it's the right therapy. I mean, not all therapy is talking, right? Like obviously CBT includes the C part, but also the B part. So there's that. But I think the second solution is based on the media part that you mentioned. If we were to portray therapy in media as something that is not about comfort, it's not necessarily just about someone having another person in the armchair tell them, ah, yes, you're, va mm -hmm. you're valid, something, something. If it's more productive, if it's more, if it's shown to be what it actually is, which is a solution to a problem, it would work a lot better. So for example, I remember watching uh, Deer Zindagi, yeah. It's a very weird movie. I think <laughs> I, I found it a bit weird. I don't know why there was like weird <laughs> yeah, 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 that was. But the main plot included her going for therapy and working towards fixing her problems. And I think that mm -hmm. those kind of portrayals are a lot better than something like, well, I wouldn't say Joker, but something that sort of uh, uses mental health for its entertainment value. So yeah, if you portray therapy as sort of like a solution, as something you do to help yourself in the same way that we portray exercise, it would help a lot more. Because right now I think most parents and even parents, I don't know why we're like wailing on parents so much. Um, like just people who don't think mental health illness, like mental illnesses or therapy are so serious. The main issue they have is therapy is just crying about your life. That's what they think. So if we were to show that it's it's not, it would be a lot better. That's my point. Yeah, I think I think now what schools are doing, they're bringing, um, they're having all these mental health um, classes and, you know, having these webinars or um, workshops. And I think that's really, that's super important because, you know, bringing awareness about mental health is to, to adolescents and students, I think that's, that's, that's where it starts from, right? All this violence and, you know, um, all this gun violence in the U.S. and stuff—it's all stemming from—I um, don't know—their uh, the impact that mental illness has on these children and students. So, introducing because back in our time, we didn't we didn't have any of that. We didn't have psychology. We didn't have psychology as a subject. Mm. So for us, I was as ignorant as another person. So when I really dived into psychology and um, the whole idea of therapy and how therapeutic it could be as opposed to what the media portrays it to be. Um, I was, my knowledge was, it was zero and the media does portray mental illness in a very negative manner, yeah, you know, exactly. like, okay, the Joker movie, it comes off as a, it's a violent movie, you know, then there are other movies, um, Split, you mentioned Split, that also comes off as, you know somewhat violent so i think the media portrays mental illness in a very negative manner and that has an adverse effect on society's perception and seeking treatment now treatment and, and therapy by the way just to add to sharia um yes it is expensive but there are resources available for um, affordable treatment and you know counseling sessions and stuff and in schools nowadays therapy sessions are like free parents don't pay for anything so it's just part of your school experience so nowadays it's it's you're more open to say hey you know what can i go to my counselor i i feel very overwhelmed and you just go to the counselor and you, you just have a talk for an hour and that's completely fine that's it, it's acceptable now but back back in my day 
I was sent to the counselor because I had an attitude problem. And I was sent to the counselor, by the way. <laughs> and she sent me to, uh, she's like, you stand up, you go to the counselor because you have attitude problem. So, and I was sent to the counselor not to talk about why I have an attitude problem, but she just did like a personality test on me. She's like, you're fine. You're okay. You're just a bit stubborn and you're like this, but it's okay. Go back to class, you know? So that's how it was. So now when we, when we have a child come into my office, to talk about, you know, okay, something happened in class. We actually sit and we ex tell the child, okay, want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. What happened? You know, before we get any kind of feedback from the teacher or anybody else, we always ask what the student's opinion is, what their feedback is. And then we work on that. And I think it starts with schools being more inclusive. So by, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know what that means. Inclusive is, you know, um, providing like an equal opportunity to all everyone in school right so making the environment more acceptable for all so you don't really like put them in under special labels or categories you just make it more acceptable so yes there is a difference there is an improvement you know there is progress um into how society is sort of viewing mental illness now so you think what some of the solutions include number one um encouraging people to listen to students and listen to people who are sort of you know, having the issues. Definitely. And second of all, you think that you should have a more inclusive environment where we consider this something that's more normal yeah. and we don't make it an other. Yeah. So like, so, uh, outside my office, what we've done is, um, we don't have a name to our office. So we're like the, we have no name. So we're just the office that has no name because if we go and put send department or inclusion office, it's like, oh, stigma is there and the taboo is there. So next to our office board. We have these celebrities, like for example, Ryan Gosling, and then we have, um, I think Karen Knightley, uh, and there's quite a few celebrities who do have uh, anxiety, who have depression. Uh, I think Ryan Gosling, I don't know if he has dyslexic, if he's dyslexic, I'm not sure about that. So we have celebrities who do have these kind of, you know, disorders and mental illnesses. So we've put posters of that, just to sort of make people understand, you know what, it's okay. It's okay that I have an issue with writing. It's okay that I have an issue with math. It's okay that I have an issue with speaking or, you know, um, I'm a bit behavioral sometimes or have impulsive thoughts. It's completely okay. Just, uh, just letting society know that it's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's very correct. Like, you know, even uh, like what you said, people with the mental illness, if they come out and talk about it more openly, like how, you know, in whatever form it may be, you know, a talk or, uh, any form that they are like you know educating people it can make other people feel more uh fine and kind of normalize it not treat it so much as being like you know much different to the other diseases that are there like how we discuss cancer and everything like that a break so sorry to interrupt but i think uh, i'm gonna bring in an extremely unexpected viewpoint from me that i'm sure will shock everyone but uh, i think there should be more public debates in psychology and the main reason i say that is because there is a belief that psychology is very monolithic and that there's only a few solutions to a few problems. And that is often what causes a few problems. The first problem is that parents, I say parents a lot, but skeptics, I'm just gonna use the word skeptics, believe that there is effectively sort of a conspiracy or some kind of united viewpoint that people wanna make money by selling you bad solutions, right? Um, and that there's no disagreement whatsoever. There's always these few bad solutions. So for example, you go to one therapist, it doesn't work. So you just give up on the entire field, right? The second thing I think that happens is that there's this viewpoint that 
there is uh, a lack of skepticism within psychology. So for example, one of the main criticisms I hear is maybe this child needs to focus on something else and the psychologist is wrong with the therapeutic suggestions they're giving, which uh, I think the thing about doctors is that when we think that with a doctor, we often think maybe another doctor would give better solutions. Maybe another doctor would be more informed. But with psychology, often the result is maybe psychology as a whole is wrong. Again, because there's a monolithic view. If you had more public discussions of how different psychologists consider different treatments to work and how there's such a range of things you can try and that you don't have to just do like talk therapy. You can do so many things. Like you can do behavioral stuff. You can do, um, you know, you can, I mean, if you really want, you can do like Freudian stuff with hypnosis or whatever. And if you want, you can do biological th things like antipsychotics. So I think like the more publicly we show the sort of disagreement within the field and the range of viewpoints and the range of evidence that comes with those viewpoints, people are much more likely to take it seriously because I think there's three people that we can convince, right? The first people are people who are going to be extremely opposed to psychology and extremely opposed to treatments at all. They're not going to change their mind anyway. The second category is probably people who already agree with it and are probably pretty positive against it. Third category are people who are thinking still, they're in the middle. And those sort of swing voters are going to be convinced by sort of uh, being told that they're not going to be ignored, sort of like their skepticism is going to be uh, addressed instead of ignored. They're not just going to be told you're stupid, you're unaware, you're ignorant. They're going to be told, look, there's so many things that you can explore. Maybe you're right, but it doesn't mean that the entirety of psychology is wrong. Some part of psychology might agree with you. I think that would be the best way to solve those two problems. Mm, that's a very interesting viewpoint. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, I think with that, we can conclude today's episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so hope everyone listening to this learned something. If you liked this episode and you found it informative, please do share it with all your family and friends and make sure to follow us on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, and everywhere else. <laughs> Thank you and have a great day, everyone. Bye. Make sure you don't have polio. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Nice talking to you guys. Bye.